Welcome to City Stories, the podcast by Energy Cities. I'm Miriam Eisenman and I'm your host. How do you engage individuals and local organizations in the energy transition? What does it need to make them allies in the journey towards greener cities? And what if people get tired of workshops around the city of tomorrow? In this episode, I was joined by two activators, as I would call them, Anne-Claire Urevoise from the city of Brest, where she's in charge of mobilization for the energy transition, and Alejandro Gomez, who's energy project manager at Valencia Clima y Energia. They shared valuable insights on community building and participation as a key enabler to advance the city's transition towards climate neutrality. Thanks so much for joining, Anne-Claire and Alejandro. Uh, Anne-Claire, for a start, can you say a word on the transition you wish for Brest? I mean, being a coastal city like Valencia as well, you could be particularly impacted by climate change, like with the uh, sea level rising and the city being underwater at a certain point. So what do you think you can, you can do um, and where can you get to for your city? Yeah, exactly. In, in Brest, we have this risk of uh, marine submersion or being exposed to storms or even to flooding or runoffs, uh, etc. Uh, and that's why we have our Sustainable uh, Energy and Climate Action Plan uh, since uh, 2012. And we have the new one since 2019. And the main objective is to reduce uh, our greenhouse gas emission and divide them by four Uh, by 2050 and reach carbon neutrality uh, as soon as possible. So concretely, it means uh, having a, a transition in our building sectors, uh, transports, and also agriculture and industry. So these are the main areas where we want to have a, a transition and of course develop more and more renewable energies like uh, solar powers and district heating systems, for instance. So be becoming climate neutral, that's really a big uh, and massive shift that, that you're aiming at. Um, the really fascinating thing is um, how each of your cities also engages with a very broad range of people to achieve this goal. In the past episode, I actually spoke with Jordi Peris Blanes, who oversees the Valencian urban strategy. And he said that um, your transition team, uh, Alejandro, so the one in Valencia, is composed of uh, a really great number of people, like decision makers from the local government, but also from the regional government. Uh, he said there, there were local companies and even media was involved because he really highlighted the, the need to communicate about the, the needed transition. So, um, Anne-Claire, who are these people in Brest, or let's say, Yeah, who who is behind it and who were the first ones that you really also managed to convince when you started the process? Yes, in, in Brest, um, with this tomorrow process, uh, we, we touched a diversity of people. But firstly, we went to uh, meet internally our colleagues. So this was the core team first, the, to have internal services from uh, Brest Metropole involved in the process. So services who are already working on the energy area, like uh, housing, mobility, uh, uh, urban planning, etc. But we also managed to get on board 
people uh, from the cultural sector, sport, uh, relationship with citizens. So for us, it was really interesting to have their view on the process. And we asked them to um, uh, recommend external people. And this formed our local transition team. So with uh, external members like uh, a business club, a citizen network, a fab lab, or uh, a bank. So it's, it's quite uh, diverse. And then we engaged the larger community since uh, the end of 2020. And in this community, we find uh, local organizations like uh, engineering schools uh, and uh, co local companies, uh, citizen networks. Uh, and we tried at the beginning of the process to prioritize who should be involved uh, because they had the most uh, impacting uh, activities on climate uh, or they were touching a, a very broad audience uh, because they were big employers, uh, etc. Uh, and we also wanted to, to imply citizens. So it's uh, quite a, a big uh, process and we hope to uh, make the community broader and broader. Uh, that that sounds like an exciting mix of people, and we're going to get to how you really involved them in a minute. Um, but before that, I just wanted to ask you, Alejandro. Uh, so I just mentioned the, this 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 qu quite complex mix of people that you are also have. I mean, between companies, media, uh, citizens. I think that's that's quite a diverse group of people. They are 22, I think, uh, in, in Valencia. So how did you get in touch with all those people? I mean, how did you bring them on board so that they were ready also to collaborate with you on a regular basis? Yes. Um, so basically, we started by uh, by mapping them. So we, uh, with the support of a research institute of the, of the Politecnical University of Valencia, which is the Ingenio Institute, we mapped all the stakeholders of the city that that were somehow uh, relevant uh, when talking uh, about energy and energy transition. Um, so we included uh, stakeholders that were not only from the city, but also at regional level. And we also uh, included stakeholders that were not focused on energy itself, but that could be somehow relevant if we wanted to, to conduct this energy transition. Uh, so we did this map. Um, as you said, we consider the, these five elixirs of the city, private companies, public administration, academia, um, civil society, and the media. And then we started clusterizing them and, and organizing them according to their different levels of uh, influence, of interest, uh, expertise, um, things like that. So we had like a complete map of the different stakeholders and, and, and where uh, they were all uh, placed, let's say, uh, and then we started selecting them. So we wanted to have a small group, a small transition team, what we have called the Energy Transition Roundtable, um, but that were quite representative of the city and, and with different visions, different points of view, um, different in interests, and so on. Uh, so once we um, had this uh, list, of uh, potential stakeholders to include. Uh, what we did also with the, with the help of this uh, Ingenio team um, was to conduct interviews with, uh, with some of the people that were in, in, this, um, in these entities. Uh, because we knew that uh, 
for the for for the process itself, it was not only important to consider the entities, but the people itself, like like the the person that was going to participate in the group. So we inter had some interviews, uh, bilateral interviews with uh, with different people, and and then after that, it's when we selected the final list of uh, of stakeholders that we wanted to include in our in our team, and then. To engage them, we just, um, well, since we had already talked with them uh, during these interviews, we knew also uh, which were their interests or their motivations to participate in our group. So it was, it was quite easy to, to, to go back to them and invite them to participate in the group, uh, saying that they were actually, that they had been, um, let's say, selected. Uh, to participate in the team and and also to 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 motivate them to to participate. This sounds like quite a long and and intense uh, selection process for for the start. So once you had those projects on board, can you each of you ex actually explain? how you really worked with them. Can you take our listeners to your meetings and workshops or study visits that you organized? Like, how did that sound and, and look like? Uh, and Claire, maybe to start. Yes, so at the beginning, we were uh, doing lots of uh, meetings by uh, video conference. So I think it will be a, a common point between all tomorrow cities. But uh, it, it It was still allowing lots of interactions uh, with our uh, transition team members. Uh, so we did some uh, mapping exercise, like uh, Alejandro mentioned, uh, using uh, collaborative uh, tools. And uh, then we also did, a, for instance, a, a webinar with another French cities that we were finding quite inspiring. So it was an occasion for our team to learn from another experience and see what we could bring uh, locally in, uh, in Brest. Uh, and then in 2021, we started to engage the larger community. So we had several uh, ways of uh, engaging them, like uh, individual meetings, uh, group workshops. Um, and we try to do um, regularly some uh, big open events, uh, inviting very broadly people to come and discover the project so that we don't... Uh, stay with just a, a small circle of people, but we uh, invite everybody to, to come on board. That was something that, um, like, uh, let's say, normal citizens um, used and they came to those events um, without being involved previously to the, to the process. They were interested in, in learning more about it. I think it was mostly people who are, who were Uh, coming through an association or uh, uh, we, are, we were already in a network of people interested by the subject, but at least it's starting from somewhere and we hope to grow. <laughs> <laughs> That's normal. I think you always have to start first with the usual suspects because these are the ones that you can get in touch with um, easily and then uh, kind of uh, extending to, to others. Um, that's the normal thing. And what about you, Alejandro? Um, indeed, I think, I mean, you all had this challenge of starting the Tomorrow Project shortly before COVID uh, hit. So uh, I guess you had to be quite creative as well in, in terms of how you organized the meetings uh, despite the distance that you had to, to maintain. So how did it look like in Valencia? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, we created the group and we started our meetings in the summer of 2020. So it was uh, when the COVID crisis has already occurred. Um, so we have actually con conducted all of our meetings except one of them online. Uh, only only once we we met uh, physically, which was uh, great. Uh, so for the for the meetings, we we used uh, Zoom and we used Miro uh, mostly to uh, to do this um, co-definition of the of the different aspects of the strategy and the different things of the about the projects that we wanted to discuss. Uh, and then we tried to, I mean, going to the details, uh, we tried to keep a, a structure that was uh, more or less fixed in all our meetings. Um, so we uh, did. Uh, at the beginning, we we did like one meeting per month. Uh, we tried to do them uh, in the same schedule, so it was at uh, uh, Thursday uh, from twelve to two. And what we did was uh, first to welcome all the participants. So we tried to invite uh, some um, someone from outside the group to welcome all the participants. So for instance, we had the mayor. Uh, we had some councillors also coming to the to the group to welcome the participants and and give a, a, an introductory um, brief. Um, then we usually had uh, some someone also from outside the group coming to motivate and to inspire the group. So explaining what other cities were doing or some interesting projects. Uh, for instance, we, we had some some people from from you from energy cities explaining what what other European cities were doing in in this field, um, and then we started with the with the um, with the dynamics like with a working um, exercise in middle uh, where we well we defined several aspects of our roadmap or of our, uh, for the demonstration project that we were defining or the communication messages, the communication campaigns that we were preparing, things like that. Uh, so we tried to keep this structure along the all the all the meetings. So people really had to work when they were part of this energy transition team. And I was wondering, how did you manage to keep those people involved over a prolonged period of time? I think that's one additional challenge. And I also um, remember Katie from Kodima, uh, so the Dublin Energy Agency, who are part of the Tremor project as well, and that I interviewed in the previous episode. She was talking about uh, being in a zone of uncertainty because she said, um, yeah, you never really know for how long people will stay in. Um, and I would like to hear from you both. What did you do to avoid early dropout? How did you manage to kind of keep people motivated? Maybe did you have some incentives for those who spent their time working with you? And how did you know that that all this was efficient? <laughs> I think that the first thing is to accept early dropouts because it, it may happen. So you, you have to do with it. So, um, for instance, in the transition team in Brest, uh, between the first uh, workshop and now, uh, many people don't have uh, the time anymore or uh, they were interested interested by the start of the process but now by the implementation phase so we we could check this by doing uh, uh, individual interviews uh, at some points like uh, every six months for instance or, or, or after one year of uh, operation of this team and uh, we did also an exercise of um, 
um, taking a step back and asking to the members, okay, what do you find is interesting in this team? And should we continue or should we improve something or should we stop our activities? And uh, with this small exercise, we had the confirmation that the members were interested to, to keep it. So it was a way of checking that we were still on the right track. Uh, but now, very soon, we have to do this again because we will uh, very soon arrive to the two years of uh, uh, implementation of this transition team. So we have to check it again that we are still, uh, that people still have an interest to come. And I think it, the, the members have really diverse uh, uh, interest in coming to these uh, meetings. Some want to uh, um, uh, broaden the network, others want to have uh, information on local energy policies. Uh, some others may want to learn uh, uh, collective uh, participation methods or tools. So we have to uh, make everybody uh, satisfied in a way, but still uh, uh, not lose our objectives. <laughs> And you, Alejandro, in Valencia, how did you get a sense of how people felt and how high or low the level of motivation was? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I agree uh, with Ancle a lot. Um, so you, you have to accept that there will be some uh, dropouts. Um, we, we have had some people uh, leaving the group or not participating so much uh, especially in the in the um, field of NGOs and activists, uh, because in the end it's their free time that they are spending in the group, so it's uh, harder for them to to find the time to be there uh, permanently participating in the sessions. And also from the media, uh, it was it was uh, quite hard also for journalists uh, that we had invited to keep participating in the sessions basically um, because of the same reason that this this was not part of their uh, of their work or their focus in on, in their work um but yeah uh, we we did quite the same as as Anclair was saying uh, so we after one year of the group we conducted a series of interviews individual interviews again with the ingenio team uh, doing them to check uh, with some of the stakeholders what were what, what was the their feeling about the group if they were satisfied if they were tired uh, what were their expectations and so on to see um, if we needed to change things to improve things to leave uh, to stop doing things and and, and so on um, and and then we have also done two plenary sessions of the team. Uh, focusing on on this uh, reflection, so uh, explaining basically what we have achieved so far. So this is what we have done, and these are the impacts, and these are the results, and so on. Uh, what do you expect uh, in the following months or in the following year? So you want to work on this, you want to work on these other things. You uh, don't think this group is uh, needed anymore. Um, uh, so having this reflection, and in general. Um, the the feedback we got from from the stakeholders were that they were they wanted to continue uh, working. They actually want the this transition team to be something that stays uh, in the long term. So after the tomorrow project ends, uh, they want this to still um, um, going on. 
and 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 then there are several like differences in the role that this transition team should take in the long term so uh, there are people that are more interested in discussing about projects and trying to implement projects uh, find the fund the, the financial instruments and the financing to implement projects and that's it there are some people that are also interested in uh, just discussing the vision and the strategy of the city and and you know, have a, having an influence on the on the public administration and the decisions that are made in in the in the municipality so there are some differences between them and and we are now trying to uh, to let's say solve that and and see um what is the exact uh, role that the transition team takes after the tomorrow project but in general yeah the feedback is is very positive and we foresee that the group is going to to continue working uh, in the midterm this is an important takeaway for other cities as well that you need to do this kind of intermediary Uh, check in with the people that you involve and listening to them really to see how they really um, feel in, in the work and whether their needs are still being kind of satisfied, as Claire was saying, even though you, you need to stick to, to your own goals. And I, I think what's um, super interesting, Alejandro, is also your the fact that you involved uh, a university as let's say, a neutral auditor in the whole process. So they helped you also being kind of external to the process and help you assess whether you are on track and what you can adjust. So that's probably something that others could um, kind of get inspired by. Now, um, we get to the last question already of, of this interview. And I wanted to, it's, it's a bit a more personal question to both of you. Uh, and I wanted to know which lessons you have learned during this process. Is there anything you'd do differently if you had to start it all again? Let's say if you had to prepare the uh, 2100 roadmap now after the, the 2020. Um, what, what can you say about um, the, the learning process uh, for yourself? And Claire? Yes, we, we've had many lessons learned from this tomorrow process. So if I, I need to choose maybe one or two, uh, I think that there was a, a constant balance to find between wanting to uh, imply everybody uh, because we proposed a really a large uh, engagement process open to local companies, to local associations, to the municipalities, to citizens. So we tried to communicate a, a kind of a unique uh, message to everyone, saying that everyone could be welcomed and engaged in the process. But at the same time, if you really want to involve some categories of uh, uh, business sector or uh, uh, citizens, you need to be to have a more tailored approach. Uh, so the, it, it's a cost, constant balance to, to find. Uh, and it's also a balance between the time you want to spend. Do you want to focus more on some actors or have a, a, a more massive uh, approach with a, a ready to take a commitment, I would say? <laughs> I don't have the solution now. I don't know what the uh, uh, final um, uh, result will be, but we are uh, experimenting both of these methods, I would say, and, and this is a a daily challenge. 
Yeah, and I think it's even more exciting not to have all the answers <laughs> straight away. If not, you would probably stop working or at least stop doing what you're currently doing. Uh, Alejandro, what about you? Were there things that uh, you took away um, from from the beginning? Something, yeah? Yeah, so um, I was thinking that maybe something that um, it's important to bear in mind, and we have tried to do so, but... Uh, but maybe we could have done it even more. It's to try to keep the process as flexible as 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 possible, um, because in the end, I mean, it, it can be very very challenging <clears throat> to do this uh, long term um, planning, like this strategic planning of the city. So in the end, we are like defining the roadmap of our cities uh, to 2000, 2030 or two thousand and fifty. Uh, but there are so many things changing now in the energy field, like the COVID crisis came and now we have this other uh, crisis caused by the war uh, with the energy prices peaking. So it changes the path of and, and, and it might impact all the policies and the projects that are implemented at European, national, local level. Um, so in the end, you are doing like this strategic planning and, it, and it's been like two years already of this participatory process uh, and so on. But there are so many things that are changing in this field that you have to keep it flexible and you have to try to be able to, uh, to, to incorporate all these, all these things that are happening um, in, your, in your planning uh, process. Um, so yeah, that I, I think that's that's important because sometimes it can be very frustrating. Uh, you, you feel like uh, you have been working on something and then things change, the context changes, and and you don't know how to incorporate it. But uh, it's important to, uh, to to have this flexibility in mind and also to communicate this to the people, to, to all these stakeholders that are collaborating with us. Uh, so everyone knows that this is not an easy process, uh, that it takes time, but in the end. Um, yeah, we all must be aware of of uh, of how uh, fast uh, things are changing in this field. That sounds really like uh, a great advice. And um, what I really also liked is that both of you were saying, in a way, that you have to accept um, to a certain extent failure, like early dropout, and admitting that it's it's not it's not an easy mission that you have, but if you all work together um, that it's possible to to advance and to to get where you want to get to. So um, I think the way you are both working in Brest and in Valencia sounds like a great way for for busting the silos, for bringing people together. It was a great conversation, uh, Anclair and Alejandro. Thanks a lot for being here. I guess listeners got to understand much better who the people are behind all of this and how much you do to become kind of a connector between all of them for yeah for the benefit of of getting to 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 better better cities or at least cities that are kind of future proof so thanks a lot for sharing your insights today thank you thank you very much thank you this episode was brought to you by the EU project tomorrow 
Since 2019, Tomorrow is supporting six cities on their very participatory way towards a sustainable and fair future. The project gets funding from the European Horizon 2020 program, and you can go to the website citiesoftomorrow.eu to learn more, and you can make use of great resources such as the Tomorrow Transition Toolbox.